Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World Podcast, a podcast that's dedicated to helping people in the performing arts make what they love their full-time job. Now, today we have an absolutely terrific guest. His name is Soko Trin. He is a man who has immersed himself in many different fields. He knows eight languages, and he is a man that combines the fantastic fields of behavioral science with performing arts. He is probably the Leonardo da Vinci of our time. Please welcome Soko Trin. Hi, good morning. Excited to be here. How are you doing today? I'm good. Actually, you make me laugh when you say the Leonardo da Vinci of, uh, it's like, uh, you probably picked that up from my website. Um, oh, I admire Leonardo. He's just, um, when I was researching the concept of passion, which is also uh, my PhD research expertise, uh, his name came up and many other names like Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, uh, Obama, people who are passionate really. And what the heck is passion? And then Leonardo da Vinci has this very amazing quality of not only being passionate about multiple things, what we call multi-passionate, right? You know, your fr- some of your friends that are like naturally passionate about everything in life. We call it multi-passionate individuals. But also within those say, 10 friends among your hand- hundred acquaintances that are multi-passionate, maybe only one, only one will also be good at things that he or she is passionate about that becomes a multi-passionate individual that is a polymath as well, having competencies that support the passion. And I think Leonardo has that quality and I, he's, he's a role model. But um, it's a very complex question when people ask me, hey, uh, you know this basic question, which is search for your passion. When you're looking for a job, let's say you are an artist, um, or you, you are a, a, a young, your teenager slash young, young, young adults, and people say, search for your passion. But then when you think about this question, search for your passion implies that you should be looking for a job or a role or something that pays the bills, by the way, which is your passion. So that implicitly would mean that you cannot create passion by starting with something that originally you're not passionate about. Well, it turns out that research nowadays would suggest that you can take any job, but through time, you could actually create passion and it will come emerge slowly but surely. Not all the time, but sometimes it happens. So search for your passion is hard because some people are frustrated. They say, I, don't, I don't know what my passion is. I'm lost. I'm just like 15 years old or I'm just 20. And I, or some people are 45 and they're like, I'm desperate. I'm 45. I don't even know what my passion is. So I think uh, it's super important to, to let people know that, yes, you can create your passion. There are ways to instill that or reconnect you with passion or to find ways to kind of a bit like, you know, in the ancient time, you use a stone and you light up the fire. You could do that. There are ways to do that through positive interventions in psychology. What sort of got you into where you are now? So, I mean, as we spoke before on the podcast, like your 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 grandparents were in Cambodia, but they were ethnically Chinese, and then you spent a lot of your time in France. And like, how? But you travelled around the world. Like, how did that lead (laughs) to what you're doing now? Um, this is a great question. So I'm going to share with you something that I've shared a lot with people around me, especially people that know me really well. Um, this is really, really the true story of what makes me who I am today. I think the bottom line is it boils down to, um, maybe not the only person, but I have to say my mother has a lot of impact on who I am and what I do today. So obviously who I am means also the value that I embrace and the way I look at life. Um, This is a woman that has survived the Cambodian genocide. So she was adopted. She was adopted by her mother. And so my grandmother in Cambodia. So my grandparents migrated to Cambodia from Chinese background, Chinese heritage, Cantonese specifically. And my mom was adopted. And 
she had at that time my brother and my and my sister they're about 10 11 years older than me and my 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 father as well and i remember this episode she told me um this reason i'm saying this by the way that links to what i am today what i do my grandmother held my mother's hand and she said i am too old to flee i know the khmer rouge are here the soldiers who are basically aged the kids 10 to 15 years old completely brainwashed ready to kill stab or gun people down and they said the american are sending bombs on your shoulders You've got five minutes to pack your stuff take your clothes and just leave your home in the way of phnom penh the capital that was a lie the american were not sending they weren't even near they just wanted people who could read and write potential threat to the regime to flee the city so my mom had her hand held in my grandmother's two hands, this woman that adopted her. And she said, go away, leave, leave me, abandon me to save your family. Can, can you imagine that? You have to abandon the woman that adopted you, right? How gutted would you be? She did that. She had to save my, 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 my I want to say my father, my, my brother and sister. She then crossed, she walked for days and days seeing people dying. And when she said, you know, I do not wish anyone in this world, especially to you, my son, and you have not seen that because you were born in France. As soon as we got there, when, long story short, I did not see this atrocities. She said, but I could see people dying, walking in a jungle at night, stepping into mines and exploding and dying. And in, in the narration, in her story, I saw three things. And this is back to your question. I saw how determined resilient she was, a woman that was resilient and to not let herself die with a clear purpose in life. She was crystal clear that she wanted to leave, survive, to be alive and to take the family to start a new life. That was the purpose. Her love for the family, that passion, that fire, it was consuming and infectious. The way she described that, the love she had for the family, that passion, right? Passion is described as a, sometimes as a love as well and also perseverance, which is together packed with resilience. Purpose, passion, and perseverance were three Ps that fascinated me for years. And fast forward, typical Chinese thing to do, like as especially um, um, French-born Chinese, at least in France, uh, people who, well, I was born there, um, then I moved around. Um, Chinese parents really want you to, to do the best studies you can. So I wanted to be an artist, but I was not supported by my parents. So I did singing and all this by myself for years, 20 plus years. But I had to do business studies and all that stuff that paid the bills, basically. And, um, and I did that, but I never really wanted to do that. And many years ago, I decided to, you know what, I'm going to stop. I'm going to do something meaningful for the world, for society, and for myself. I'm going to help people reconnect themselves with purpose, passion, perseverance. And this is the moment I decided to leave everything I was doing and to go full on into social and behavioral science and to embrace my life purpose, which really is to allow people to connect and to live their life with purpose and passion so that it can thrive. And that makes me become a, a, a coach, a, a social and behavioral scientist, and, and also walk the talk. I also, uh, I'm also a performing artist. So uh, instead of speaking about it, I live it, as in I'm hired in a couple of shows and all of that. And, and I also create arts. And uh, as opposed to only talk about passion, I create it, I, I live it. And that makes me who I am today. I think my mother is probably the person that instilled that or helped me unpack this passion. Um, there's many other things, but she's probably one of the main reasons. When I have young people that come to me and ask questions about, hey, how, what the heck should I do with my life? <laughs> you know, artist or um, businessman uh, in, in, in becoming <laughs> uh, a businesswoman, by the way. Um, I'm for diversity and inclusion. Uh, or scientists uh, or people that are students, I always say, you know what, if you can start with the languages, it's fascinating because it also gives you a head start. Um, you can do your studies, but try to be curious about languages. One of the things that I say is it makes you stand out of the crowd. So I remember vividly my very first student job many years ago. 
um, I, I needed a job desperately to pay the bills basically. And I didn't want to ask money from my parents. And I wanted to work in the Champs-Élysées in Paris, very famous avenue with a lot of beautiful luxury shops, which I never go good. <laughs> it's too expensive at that time. Um, the fact that I could speak at uh, that time four languages, uh, oh gosh, including Mandarin, people were like, hell yeah, we want to hire you because you can, I mean, look at those guys, yeah. the girls, they speak only one language, French. And maybe barely English with a very strong accent. Not me saying that. That's what the Disney store manager was saying. He said, oh, you speak four languages. Hell yeah. And then snowball effects. Um, uh, you get more experience, confidence, and then had more languages. And that set me where basically you stand out from the crowd. So marketability, I think it's a very good point. Yeah, as well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And also, I think it helps you learn more as a person. Because if you're just in one nation your entire life and you don't like, learn to adapt to a different culture, I think I think it affects how much you understand people. Like, and it teaches you, yeah, I think just in terms of your people skills as well, knowing how to, having to adapt to another culture will make you more appreciative of your own culture. Mm. First. I love what you're saying. I really love that. Um, it this, Just in what you just said in one minute, it's linked to so many other concepts. Um, I think you're right. It helps you, it invites you is the word I'm looking for. It invites you to appreciate the world from a different lens. It's a bit like, I love using metaphor, you'll notice that. It's a bit like you go traveling or you work and you're wearing lenses, contact lenses or spectacles that have different brands. This is the Asian brand. This is the African brand. This is your European brand. So for continents, and we can funnel down to country brand. And suddenly you appreciate people and you connect with their, their culture, their vulnerability, and so on and so forth. And that is just logical and common sense because you understand the vulnerability, the culture, you might be more inclined to feel and to sense what they're feeling and sensing. Real example, um, China, I, was, I lived there for five years, Shanghai in Shanghai, and I traveled across the country. And because I could speak Mandarin and Cantonese and Diechiu, um, I could speak to taxi, I, I love taxi drivers and I love wet markets. These are two places in the taxi in the world and wet markets where you get to learn about the cultures. Because, uh, long story short, because people open up, it's, 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 it's not fake, it's authentic, and they just talk to you to talk, you just ask questions and you're listening mode. And because you speak the language, suddenly you connect to the pain they went through, um, to the hopes that they have. And that allows you to understand so much. Languages is so powerful, man. That's, I, I, I really, really, uh, I really invite people to, if they can, for the kids, for themselves, to invest in themselves. And that's part of personal growth. Learning a new language is fascinating. And yeah, and the, I mean, the worst that could come of it, because I think, especially in the UK, you British people are definitely bad at learning languages. If you know another language, it will at least get you another job, or at least increases your chances of getting another job, as you said. Whatever the case is, you could just be a, be a teacher in that language. That's a very good point. Um... What you're describing here is something I have noticed um, from observation. So it's um, kind of, um, um, I think there's quite a lot of research as well. Um, countries or people from certain countries that are, to, let me rephrase that. To what extent being born in the country that speak the language that is the most spoken, the most used in the business context, in arts and so on and so forth, English, so being born in the U.S., being born in England, and being born in any countries that have that has English as the main language. Um, to what extent being born in this country would that prevent you, motivate you, or not motivate you from learning a new language? So, to what extent do you become lazy and say, "I speak English. Why the hell would I actually spend time to learn a new language?" Right? This is the most spoken and most useful language. My observation would confirm what you just said. And a lot of my friends would say, oh, you know what? It's anyway, um, I speak that language. However, and I don't want to generalize. I think it's so easy to fall into 
generalization. I notice as well that in any given populations in the world, it depends on personality. So people that have the personality that has curiosity, that want to grow, love for learning, these people are fascinating. I have many, some, I have some, some English friends and American friends that speak multiple languages as well. Probably not eight. I know a guy that speaks like about 20 languages, I think, maybe. Twenty. Uh, uh, even more. I, I, I was like, that's, come on, that's, that's not possible. That's not human. Uh, <laughs> does, uh, we met in a business context. He's a, that was his job. Basically, he speak, I was like, how do you do that? And then we, we spoke very briefly and I, I still want to connect with him. It's like, I speak eight, but you speak, oh my God, how do you do that? Like three times what I speak or, uh, um, yes. But I think what you're saying might be true. But I think that also people that have the personality to, to grow, to learn, to connect, even though they're from, from here, um, I think that some would actually learn quite a few languages. So um, um, one of the things that you, you've made sort of your passion is that you like to combine music and sort of behavioral science and like how do you put these two such diverse fields together <laughs> that's a million dollars question um so the context is that um so i've been thinking on and off for like 20 years but professionally only for the past years i would say um and what i mean by this is i was in amateur clubs and all of that and then being hired to sing and all of that was only in the past years. And um, so music has always been with me. So it's part of performing arts, right? Then many moons ago, I went to uh, acting and then dancing, triple threads that naturally lead me to musical theater. So my life has always been evolving around performing arts, um, musical that I'm part of or dance shows and all of that and gigs and EP that I launched. But the, um, the love for learning um, and the love to connect with other individuals led me to discover positive psychology, which is the discipline that psychology looks at the mind and how that influences and affects individuals' behaviors. Yeah. So you look at the mind. So what we call cognitive processes, cognitive thoughts processes, how people think. Uh, but the mind is also memories and, and so on and so forth. And it looks at how that influences behavior. So how, what you do and um, where you shop, uh, what you do in the morning, when you wake up, uh, when you go to work. And um, because I have access to these two worlds, I decided, wouldn't it be amazing um, to connect the knowledge of performing arts and psychology together to unpack knowledge around what makes people feel good when they go to see a show. And that came from personal experience. You know, I went to uh, this multiple shows that I went to and when I came out, I was like, oh, I feel good. That show just made me feel good. Or Dear Van Hansen, you know, you go there, it's a very sad story, a teenager that commits suicide. And it ends up like with a lot of hope and you feel hopeful for, the, for life and for the world. But how did you do that? Is that the storyline? Is that the music? Is that, what is that? Is that the lighting? Is that the acting? Is that the dancing that I was watching? I was like, what if it's a combination of things like this? What, is, what if instead of having a show that I come out and by coincidence, I feel good about it. What if I could reverse engineer and find the recipe the ingredients that are needed to create a show when people go there, you know, empirically, scientifically, that it will positively affect them emotionally, cognitively, behaviorally, some, somehow maybe spiritually as well. And yes, spirituality has been investigated in science. It's not something exoteric. Um, and what if to do and unpack this kind of well-being, you look at wrappers, I call that, or lenses in one of the models that I investigated and created that are sensorial. So what if you use things, elements based on what they see, what they smell, what they touch, 
but also inviting them to participate. So think of a mix between showstoppers, improvised musical theater, Bjork in Somerset House, London with virtual reality, yeah? Imagine this with um, immersive theater, like The Great Gatsby, you know, you go there and there are actors, professional trained actors are coming and invite you to participate as well. And imagine some scripted stories and other ingredients, right? And setting and environment and lighting and music. We know music therapy that major chords trigger more positive emotion as opposed to minor chords that be more sad or serious. And imagine you have a combination of all of those research from different disciplines, as I said, packed together with clear measurements before, during, and after that will allow people, allow people to feel good, to be good. That is what we're working on with um, somebody um, that approached me and we created a, a production company to bring well-being through performing arts. So there are plenty of research here and there. And I think what we're doing, which is quite complex, is bringing just research together, connecting artists, scientists, <laughs> scholars together to work together. Uh, and that's hard because sometimes you notice that they don't speak the same language. Um, so we are now in the research phase, uh, as in scientific research phase, before it becomes workshopped in the real world with uh, professional artists and with real participants. Mm. And what, um, what have been your biggest triumphs along your journey and struggles? What have been the biggest triumphs and struggles you've had in life in general journey as in in life in to get to where you are now by like being a passionologist slash behavioral psychologist and musician mm. um so technically i'm not a psychologist because you need to be chartered to have the title psychologist so uh the psychology side of things you could say a positive psychology practitioner yeah. Um, passionology is, is, is correct and coach and, 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 and uh, performing artist because um, I know if some people listen to that and say oh he's not a psychologist is this chartered um, I think biggest triumph is a good question let's say with the biggest challenge first perhaps um, I've met people that are toxic in my journey yeah so I've, I've met people that made me cry I've met people that were against me I've met people that were discriminatory in their behaviors towards me. I met people that were a corporate psychopath and I met people that were really pushing against me to slow me down in my journey. And that challenge of meeting people that by jealousy, envy, misunderstanding, and by misunderstanding, my mean by that is sometimes your strengths and what makes you bright. Professor Hogan would say that, Dr. Hogan, uh, that, that designed a beautiful psychometric test. He said that uh, what makes you bright, so for example, my being passionate, being infectiously passionate can become my dark side as well. To give you an example, the way I speak unmindful sometimes is invading in too much and over the top because too much energy. Some people that have a different personality might feel threatened, um, might feel like, oh my gosh, is it threatening to me now? Or, And so some of the people that I met as well were just not understanding of, of my passions and, and maybe some successes as well. So toxic behaviors I met on the way, on this journey of, from people, one of my biggest strategy is always down to people. They can do the best thing for you, but they can do the worst for you. And I was even out of the counseling at some point. How ironic is that someone in positive psychology and coaching as well, who has to take counseling to be back on track because I was... I was emotionally and psychologically affected. Um, and that was the biggest challenge, but it just made me stronger. Kelly Clarkson would say, what doesn't kill you make you stronger. I love that song. Um, <laughs> uh, it's true, resilience. But that also becomes my biggest triumph. And the triumph being um, that I have consistently, consistently embraced my freedom, and my authentic self to live my life with passion, despite what people say, including my parents saying, you can't do this. Uh, the arts, for example, that's not gonna pay the bills or, or you're not gonna do this or that. And, and I just did it. So 
many things I, I, I made possible from PhD to um, uh, creating music to uh, traveling the world, uh, 80 countries uh, to, I don't know, to learning languages. Um, um, so to be consistent with myself and my own passion and purpose. Um, so basically to, to lead by example, to walk the talk. I talk about passion, I investigate and instill passion, but I leave my passion myself. What, and what, what would you say is your main purpose in life? What have you been put on this earth to do? Lovely question. I have um, my live vision board here. <laughs> and the two words that are written there, it's passion and legacy. Uh, it took me long time to realize what my life purpose is. Um, so my life purpose statement, I can give it to you. And if my coach, life coach is listening, as a coach, I'm being coached myself. That's normal. Uh, it's quite common and it should be uh, the case. Um, she helped me. Keiko is my life coach. And she um, helped me unpack this a few years ago. My life purpose statement is I am a growing bowl of passion that helps people to live their life with purpose and passion so that they can thrive sustainably. So the first part of my life purpose statement is what represents me as a metaphor, a growing ball of passion that represents me. It's just who I am. It's organically growing. And it's organically growing because with what I do connected with other people, it grows me as well and I can grow them. And what I do with them, the mission in this life is um, this legacy is I allow people to live a meaningful life and to be excited and to love what they do there's so many people that feel forced to do something they they did not want to do a job just to pay the bills this is called a job or work and that's not a calling that's not passionate work these are different constructs in psychology and in english we say oh i've got a job i've got to work but that's different when you say i have a passion and that's really what i feel i'm here for um it feels right and it feels less selfish to be doing something that helps others and just helps you pay your own bills as well. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And what, what do you feel? What do you? So when you're looking at everything as a whole, um, you mentioned your experience about like discrimination. You mentioned experience about toxic people, but you also mentioned like the good things as well. Yeah. I mean, like what what have been like? Because from my side, I've, I mean, the lockdown and everything that's going in the pandemic, I think it, for those, it teaches you a lot about people. Yeah. I think because it gives you time to think about things. And like some of the, so one of the things that I'm sort of looking at now in terms of people that I don't work with, are people that are just focused 100% just on money rather on giving a good product. Mm. And they're all sort of, yeah that's that's one thing I, it, and there's got to be more to it when you're working with someone rather than just the money or this and that and then so the point i'm getting at is what would you say how do you handle sort of like some of the sort of manipulative toxic individuals you come across because what you're saying then sort of studying field you're studying with music if you are music or any sort of performing arts or business as well you are inevitably going to come across sort of manipulative shady people mm. and people that is the way it is however there are a lot of good people as well yes i think mostly people are okay because i think if if mostly people are okay because society would be really screwed up if we were all bad <laughs> but um, what are some of your ideas and things you could pass on in terms of dealing with manipulative and toxic people? So from my side, I had a venue that I had to leave, that I'm going to leave, because they are very manipulative and they try and, yeah, basically, if they can get away with it, they will. And they will try and put you in a little hole so they can try and try and get as much as you from possible. So the question is, how do I deal with manipulative people? So, so as someone who's a victim of that, we're facing that, yeah? Um, 
first of all, you always will meet this kind of people. And, and I think this is with, I don't know how horrible that will sound, but I think it's part of everyone. I think I often use the word yin and yang, this metaphor. I think there's a bit of yang and a yin, a bit of yin and a yang. We all have a dark side in ourselves, as I said earlier, in, personality, in your personality. And there's a bright side. And that depends on whether you let your guards down or not, whether you are authentic with yourself or not. So we can do good, we can do bad, depending on our mood, depending on the day, right? Depending on many things and how aware you are of yourself. Now, when you meet people that constantly, consistently are doing bad on purpose to make you, to hurt you physically or mentally, that's a different story. Yeah, so there's, I think there's a psychology concept called corporate psychopath. Um, uh, so there's patterns in their trait, the way they are. They, other in front of other people, they're so smiley and so nice. They're like, oh yeah, they're very friendly. But in fact, behind the scene, they'd be super toxic against certain individuals and they would use psychological harassment. And especially with COVID-19, so many companies have to get rid of, this is horrible. They use psychological harassment to make people leave by themselves as opposed to have to fire them, right? This is a real scenario I'm saying. And I'm not, I'm, I'm just by confidentiality and by respect, I'm not going to quote any names. But so I faced that. And so what I did was um, number one, number one, you have to be mentally fit and physically and physiologically fit. There's no way you can love and protect someone else, including me loving and protecting my daughter, if I cannot love and protect myself. You have to be mentally, physically, physiologically fit. That means you have to surround yourself, if you have, if you can, by counselors, best friends, venting to people, uh, practicing sports, you have to force yourself to eat properly, sleep properly while, while being attacked by these individuals or this individual. And you know that, oh, you're going back to work. This is going to happen to you. But you need to be, be fit to be able to face this. Number two, you have to know yourself and tap into within yourself those things that are resources, superpowers that we all have. That some of the, Most of us, we don't know we have this. To this inner resilience and to develop coping mechanisms. Very specific examples. You can connect, one simple exercise is ask yourself, okay, this is happening in life. Am I gonna remember that in 10 to 20 years? Probably not. What is important to me in life? So you try to connect to your life purpose. So I work a lot in my purpose in life and I told you what my life purpose statement is. When you think about that as a guiding star and then you look at these toxic people, you compare the two and you ask yourself, this is a way to actually bypass those toxic individuals or those saboteurs. You say, how relevant is that in your life in a scale of one to hundred? If you don't live a hundred years, but one to hundred, I'm saying, okay, I've got a life purpose. This is affecting a bit my life, but it's just a mere trifle. It's just a tiny bit. This is a detail in my life. It's okay. Try to not focus too much on that. So that's the second thing. Tap into those coping mechanism. One of one exercise to do is to ask yourself and connect with your life purpose. And the last thing I would say is surround yourself with positive people. This is free. You look at your telephone book, um, contact list, and find five to seven people. Spread those names across the week, Monday to Sunday. Talk to that one person one day suck in the positive energy from this phone call from people that love you and that you love, your parents, your friends, your whatever it is. And you know that from this call, after 20 minutes, half an hour, one hour, you will recharge the battery in positivity. It's free of charge, positive relationships. So these are three basic things that I did for myself. And that really helped me go beyond this period of my life when I was being attacked by seriously, what we call corporate psychopaths. <laughs> um, and that was okay. There's more important things in life than just focusing and being obsessed with having ruminating thoughts, rumination, which psychologists call that, focusing on, oh, I'm going to go back to work. She's going to be toxic. And thinking about that nonstop 24-7, the last thing you want is to think about that nonstop. Easy to say, but hard to do. So these are three things I did to kind of tackle this to kind of neutralize these toxicities, if you will. 
Um, so it's the same way. So happiness is the more you chase for that desperately, I want to be happy. But sometimes you hear, ask a simple question. You ask people, when was the last time you were happy? Describe that. Or another thing is, what is at the core? If imagine you invite them to take a lift, a visual lift. If you go to the core level of your happiness, what does that look like? Very few people would be able to describe that with words. And very few people would be able to say, this is happiness of the capital H. So instead of that, my invitation is to invite people to embrace the small happinesses in their life day, day to day. Uh, walking in the park, the air that you breathe, hugging your little your child, seeing your best friend, enjoying your chocolate cake in your mouth, uh, listening to your favorite music. These little moments of happinesses, they're equally important. That's what I mean. Okay. And one of the things there, now you've, you've sort of fall, fallen into another question as well, because one of the things that I've, I've, I'm struggling at the moment with is like in social media, they say that, or with any brand, you have to find your niche or find out what you are and like who your audience is. And that sort of thing, they say, oh, just find that. But, you know, I, I've tried finding that, but it's bloody hard. And like it's, you're very tense when you're doing it and you're trying to do this and that. But when I speak to a lot of people who have been successful on the podcast, a lot of the times they have just gone the flow and then what they've found, they just found it. But obviously- I love your, your point. I lo- what, do you have a specific question linked to that or is that, is that just to... No, just this, that as well. But also one of the things I also find as well, sometimes with people that are not motivated or they say they want to be an actor or they want to be this and that but they're not willing to put the work in on a hard yards in and yeah. they try and find shortcuts yeah they are always unsure of what they want and they go the flow as well i'd like to build on what you're saying two things before i forget it first thing is Passion and commitment would say Dr. John C. Maxwell. I love his podcast. Um, and what John Maxwell would say, he's a leadership guru and a coach as well. Uh, but one thing that resonated with me and actually beautifully connect with my own research, my PhD is um, one thing is you can be passionate about things. You love, you know, a strong inclination for an activity, a person or a concept uh, where you spend a lot of time, like I think eight hours at least a week and to the point that you sell, define yourself as this passion. This is a passion. So um, passion, a love for something, um, for music, performing, is one thing. But passion without commitment doesn't, it's not brought to life. It becomes a dream. So when you combine passion and commitment together, and I would add something to what John Maxwell was saying, purpose. When you have a clear purpose and a passion, and you bring in that, that commitment together it just it just becomes true it becomes real so passion commitment and purpose is the magic com- combo combination of what brings your dreams to reality and um the first point you were mentioning so you were saying something before that i just want to make sure that i got the right thing before you talked about uh you talked about finding the niche um, you know what I you know what I learned, and I talk to other successful fellow coaches. Um, in fact, people are desperate. You know, as in everything, you look for a niche, including as an artist. And what I believe is, as a coach and a performing artist, sometimes the niche finds you. The niche finds you. Uh, the niche finds you, and sometimes you decide whether you want that to define you. Um, So you can chase and have social media, hashtag strategy, whatever you want to look for clients, to look for the next role. But sometimes the roles, casting directors or your coachee finds you because of your, because they've heard this about you, uh, word of mouth, because that's the image that you project or casting directors place you in a role that you did not even see yourself in. But I saw your picture in a headshot and I saw your attitude on that reel. I, I, I love the energy. I see you there, but if that's what I mean by the niche finds you. 
to do this, I love what you said, you have to start going with the flow. It's a bit this idea of you have to trust yourself and to trust the energy. And it takes a lot of work to be able to, I think it's the idea of letting go as opposed to desperately chasing for something linked to the previous thing that we discussed. You have to let go to desperately want to succeed. Um, that said, a starting point that is undeniably important is for anyone to know themselves. And that starts by defining what is your purpose in life. I think the starting point in anyone, and Viktor Frankl who survived a couple of concentration camps, including Auschwitz, and he invaded logotherapy, the science before, behind meaning and purpose in life, which has been used by so many psychologists. That's something I love. When I coach people, when I talk to people, when I mentor people, when I, when I talk to other artists, uh, even people that I see as mentor, I always talk about purpose first. Why am I doing this? The why would say Simon Sinek. Once you've got your purpose clear, then everything else that you do needs to be connected to this life purpose. It's like a guiding star. And then just let go. Just go with the flow as opposed to stressfully and desperately chasing things. The niche will find you, I think. That's what happened to me. And if you then add the combination that I said, you've got your purpose, guiding star. You, you add your passion that is that ball of fire that turns into action and the commitment, then things are brought to life. Good. Because it's, one thing I found funny in the performing arts is that some people who succeed are extremely hardworking, dedicated, they do make it and then there's some that don't but then there's mm. some uh, that are very um they choose to be an actor or comedian or whatever but they're not they're not truly committed to the craft i mean they're going with the what's it called go as your flow thing but they're never gonna make it exactly but and i think one of the main things for that is because they're not very um unless they change of course you know they could always change and then boom they go and make it but they, they, they're going with the flow, but would, the reason for them not making is because they're not clear on what they want. They just think, right, I want to be That's famous. Right. But they, they're not like, oh, I want to be, they're not specific in it. So they don't get motivated for it. So and, they're not like, I want to be mm -hmm. a bodybuilder because it gets me lots of women. I get to look good in the mirror. Mm. Uh, it feels good to be muscular. Yeah, I want to be like, as Arnold said, Reg Park, he was very specific. Not <laughs> he wanted to be famous, but there were specific things he wanted to be like, like Reg Park, movies, this, that. But he was very clear in what he wanted. But a lot of people, when they're looking at heroes or people that are chasing their dreams, are saying, oh, I see Kim Kardashian. Oh, I see a famous actor like Jennifer Lawrence. I want to be that. Mm. But it's not very clear, is it? That's just, I want to be famous. It's, I, I hear two things from what you're saying, and I think it's very spot on. I love what you're saying. Uh, the first thing I'm saying is, in your example, that you're quoting some actors, in, they kind of give up sometimes, or I think um, it takes commitment, right? Um, and as someone who is uh, growing in his journey, in uh, the artistic journey, the artistic side of things, and actually the scientific as well, both, which is the two sides of my brain, um, I, I think, first of all, to remain humble and the fact that this is just a growing journey and... Um, I think it takes commitment. So people that don't commit to what they think is their purpose in life and their passion, it's hard. It's not going to grow. So having a purpose and a passion is great, but if you lack the commitment, it's it's like a flight. It's like a plane. It's not uh, it coming. It's like a startup. You you kick off a startup, but easy to launch a company and company house and equivalent in other countries, but but. Without commitment, the startup is not going to grow, right? Like your career is not going to grow. So lack of commitment. The other example I quoted or the other things I heard was missing is they were unclear about the why, about that's the purpose. So you've got a passion. Oh, I love singing. I love acting. Or I love coaching people. You've got the commitment. I'm committed to that. But actually, you're wearing blinkers. I, where am I going to? I'm going left, right, north, south. That's a lack of purpose. So see, if you lack that purpose, that guiding star, then where the heck do you walk to? And I think if you have step one, clear purpose, then step two, add that fuel, that passion, 
and the commitment. Commitment is linked to so many subconcepts, one of them being discipline. Oh, gosh. Discipline comes with a couple of things. Concretely, I think it's about practicing the craft that you have to the point that it becomes a habit, and then the habit becomes part of your identity. So, for example, before the lockdown, you know, even now, I wake up at six in the morning, seven o'clock, I'm I hit the water, I'm in a pool every day, Monday to Friday, eight o'clock, I'm out, 8.30, I start my working day. The work can collapse, I always slot in 30 minutes for lunch, no matter what happened, 12 o'clock, 30 minutes, physiologically I need it. End of the day, 4.45, I go running. And then twice a week, I have my body strength kind of exercise. That helps me keep mentally and physically fit. That applies to any other things uh, chasing for roles, updating your spotlight account, practicing your voice, learning your lines, practicing becomes a habit. The habit becomes part of your identity. Same for coaching, training your intuition, training your, and so on and so forth. Um, practice becomes habit that becomes part of your identity. That is commitment, right? That's what I give you an example of commitment. It takes a lot of work. I mean, no kidding. There's so many talents in the world, so many actors and amazing singers I've met, but it takes commitment and the passion and a clear purpose as a step one. And I think it's hard stuff, but it's possible. I think it's, it's a journey. What, what has your passion given you and how has your journey shaped you as a person? Like with, before you embarked on your journey, who were you and who are you now? <laughs> I think probably the same person, uh, but it's just that you manifest yourself differently and you're more aware. Um, who was I? Probably more impulsive before. Um, walking with blinkers, so uh, not being clear in the purpose. Um, and probably living a life that other people wanted as opposed to live a life that I wanted. Uh, which builds so much pressure in yourself. You don't feel good about that. You're more stressed and, uh, you know, um, like the studies that your parents wanted you to do perhaps or because they think it's good for you or friends wanted you to do something or your boss wanted you to do something. But what if you could live autonomously and freely um, following your passion with a clear purpose? I think this is where I am now. I live on purpose. I live with a purpose. I live actually through purpose and passion. And I think that's why I am now that I was not before. And before I probably was more, there was more pressure in me. Um, you could feel that in the body language, uh, more impulses, more, less happiness. And the word that I constantly use now, the word, it's very strange what I'm going to tell you. 2020 has been amazing for me. And that's probably linked to my resilience and coping mechanism. The word that comes to me is balanced. I'm very balanced now. I'm doing things so physiologically, physically, mentally, everything, artistically, intellectually stimulate. Everything is balanced. And I, I think this is something I aspired for. It's harmoniously balanced. And I didn't have that, I didn't have that balance before. So I think my purpose and my passion really helped me with this. Okay. And what advice would you like to give to people during the COVID times? Like mm. performers, whatever you are, what advice? Like young people, not like they're in not knowing what to do, how to make the most of this pandemic and go on the other side the right way. It's going to sound cliche, but I think it's so true. I, I want to say that you're not alone, first of all, if you're going through the stage of your life where you're completely lost, that's normal. There's so many people that are going through that now. And what I want to say is you're not alone. And that means um, reach out to people around you and ask for help. I think connecting with friends, family, classmates, sports companions, whatever it is, reach out to people and be vulnerably honest saying, I need help, I'm lost, I don't know what to do with my life, can we have a chat? Just connect with other people. I think that would be the advice. You would be amazed to see how many good people are out there 
willing to help, giving advices and tips, connecting you with companies, with friends, with, I, I, I have to say thank you to so many other fellow artists, for example, speaking about the artistic side of me. Uh, at some point, um, it was hard to find gigs and stuff. And some people came to me and, and so previous directors at Yojiro who came with um, like additional shows and opportunities. Uh, Bruce Chan, who came up with me in 2019, I think, or 18 with stuff in the past uh, to help me um, say, hey, I thought about you, I connect you with this. There's so many people that want to do good and want to help. Um, and sometimes people don't know that. So if you feel like you're alone, you are not alone. Ask for help. Ask for some help. People will, there will always be someone who wants to help you. Okay. And so the, and one of the last things I want to say, and like, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, spreading you're welcome. Your it's exciting. Your story. Uh, one of the things I want to say is like, what would you like to plug on the podcast? What would, what would I want to plug on the podcast? Plug as in music wise or social media, your website, your business, music. Oh, okay. As in, do you want me to say that verbally or to add that yeah. as a link or? I'll, I'll oh. do both. Okay. So verbally, um, I think, um, <laughs> Well, no secret, but um, I would say you would find I'm transparent if you Google me, but if you want to find everything about my split life, like Batman, two lives, actually it's one life, one person, um, the scientist and the artist, go to sokotrin.com, S-O-K-H-O-T-R-I-N-H.com, and you see there's a split screen, literally, and you click on passionologies, that takes you to my scientific life. The artist, it takes you to the artist, and then you have all of the, the tweets there. Um, I think that would, that would be it. Um, and, um, yeah, I'd be very happy if people would help, uh, from coaching to questions about the arts to, to reach out. Um, I've been there and I'm still growing, I'm still learning. So I'm reaching out for people to help and I always help people that I can help. So I think this is how the world should be. So, um, yeah, socotrin.com is where you've got my entire life. Probably <laughs> it's transparently out there on Google and, <laughs> well, I just want to say, um, yeah, thank, thanks for coming on the podcast. And for people back home, uh, if you like the episode, see and and see value in it, share it with your friends and give this podcast a review on iTunes or Amazon. But at the end, of the day, I just want to say, take care. Um, I hope you like wish your best wishes to you and your family during this pandemic, and hopefully see, speak to you again soon. Thank you.